The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. In March 1963, a group of children picked their way through the grounds of a ruined church on the outskirts of the village of Clophill in the south of England. The old St Mary's was built around 1350, but was apparently abandoned in the 19th century after a more convenient location was found for a church a little closer to the village. Some say, however, that it was the parishioners themselves that requested the building be abandoned after growing uneasy about its unusual positioning. Traditionally, churches are built so that the congregation can face and pray to the east, toward the direction of the rising sun. This positioning is important, since many consider this also to be the direction of heaven and a symbol of the returning Messiah. For some reason, however, this church was built to face in the opposite direction leading some to believe it was in fact a paean to Satan and a gateway to hell. It isn't known if the children playing in the churchyard that day were aware of this small fact, or what indeed it might mean when they came across the bones. Clearly human and old, they were scattered over the grass in an odd, unnatural manner. A nearby gravestone and the large, gaping hole in the earth next to it suggested they'd once belonged to one Jenny Humberston. Looking around, however, the children soon found it wasn't only Humberston's grave that had been desecrated, as all about, small mounds of black earth could be seen where other grave sites had been similarly disturbed. The police arrived an hour or so later, along with local vicar, Reverend Leslie Barker, to inspect the grisly scene. A crow, perched on top of the ruins, cawed vigorously as the officers stood about, examining the yellowed remains, trying to make sense of it all. Perhaps some opportunist robber 
had been looking for buried Victorian jewellery, they thought. But Reverend Barker wasn't quite so sure, his mind rushing back to the two Celtic crosses he'd found recently inside the church. Both had been painted with a red substance, which he was almost certain was blood. Then he gazed up at the ruins, with a pained look in his eyes, feeling a sudden chill run down his back as he clocked its westerly-facing chancel. No, he said, pointing down to the bones, drawing the police's attention once more to their strange arrangement. There's no doubt about it. This is the work of Satanists. A few months later, further grave desecrations were discovered in Lancashire, in the northwest of England, which, according to some, also bore the hallmarks of a black magic ritual. Then in December, in Sussex, on the south coast, a bell ringer in the village of Westham, after arriving for practice one evening at their local chapel, heard a strange, monotonous chant coming from somewhere within it. Stepping inside, they were surprised to find four men they'd never seen before, huddled in the dark, humming something soft and ominous together, a circle of candles gently flickering around them. In the next few months, over 200 acts of vandalism perpetrated in English churchyards were thought to be linked to what appeared to be a resurgent interest in black magic. Something was evidently brewing. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith. One evening in early 1967, roughly four years after the events at St Mary's Church, 16-year-olds Elizabeth Voidiwa and Barbara Moriarty found themselves walking down Swain's Lane in North London after visiting friends in Highgate Village. The lane, a steep and narrow pathway that runs south from Highgate before curving west towards Parliament Hill and Hampstead Heath, is perhaps best known as the thoroughfare that divides the two sections of London's sprawling Highgate Cemetery. The cemetery, located in a secluded area of woodland, high up on the hill to the northeast of Hampstead Heath, was built in two parts, with the first, the Western Cemetery, established in 1839. Centred around the two imposing structures of Egyptian Avenue and the Circle of Lebanon, home to 36 vaults between them, the first being a grand walkway of stone, granite and marble, built in a classical style, with a vast stone archway at its front, flanked by two huge Egyptian-style obelisks, all framed by carefully manicured shrubs and narrow wooded pathways, it quickly became the most fashionable cemetery of the day. As such, by 1860, another 19 acres of similarly picturesque woodland on the other side of Swain's Lane was quickly incorporated into the site, becoming home to Highgate's Eastern Cemetery. After welcoming its first resident, Elizabeth Jackson, who died aged 36 in May 1839, today roughly 170,000 people have been buried in approximately 53,000 graves in Highgate, with author Mary Ann Evans 
also known as George Eliot, philosopher Karl Marx, and scientist Michael Faraday being some of its most notable occupants. By the early 20th century, however, thanks to its popularity, the graveyard was completely filled up with so few being buried there afterwards. By the 1960s, as the names of most of its copious inhabitants slowly disappeared ever further into obscurity, the whole place had fallen into disrepair. The once carefully manicured space had become wildly overgrown and consumed by nature. The once spectacular tombs and ornate gravestones that had spoken so much of wealth and standing those that could still be glimpsed through the endless thickets of ivy and bramble at least, had by then long faded and crumbled like relics of Ozymandias. And it was in just such a state when those two young girls, Elizabeth Voidiwa and Barbara Moriarty, passed by the cemetery that evening in 1967. Being pupils from a nearby school, the pair had walked through Swain's Lane on many occasions before, having never thought twice about their surroundings. That night, however, as the girls walked past the cemetery's north gate at the top of the lane, it is claimed that both saw something that shocked them to the core. After glimpsing a movement through the railings of the gate, the pair were certain that for a moment, what they had in fact seen was a number of graves opening up followed by numerous arms and legs reaching up from out of the earth within them. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Sign up today and start communicating in less than 48 hours. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. You can also log into your account anytime to send a message to your counsellor. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, nor self-help. It is professional counselling done securely online with a broad range of expertise available. And with BetterHelp's commitment to facilitating great therapeutic matches, they make it especially easy and free to change counsellors to help you find the right fit. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and unexplained listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash unexplained. That's betterhelp.com forward slash unexplained. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. A few weeks later, a young woman and man were walking down Swain's Lane after a night out in Highgate, when the woman screamed suddenly, claiming to have seen a figure standing behind the locked gate of the Western Cemetery. Though she'd only glimpsed it for a moment, it was long enough to see the horrifying, twisted expression on its face that seemed to bore right into her before the figure vanished into thin air. Having heard the many local rumours of ghosts said to haunt the cemetery, the man returned a few weeks later with another friend to see if they could spot the apparent entity. The men clambered over the locked gate and jumped down with a crunch onto the gravel path, then switched on their torches and headed on into the thicket of undergrowth and crumbling gravestones beyond. 
before long, as they step past one tomb after another, their inscriptions long since faded away, a great sense of melancholy overcame the pair, when suddenly they became aware of a low vibrating hum that came and went with increasing regularity from somewhere up ahead in the darkness. As the noise intensified, the men found that they could no longer move their limbs as though the sound had cast a spell on them. Just then, a large shadow flitted across the path, like that of a human but strangely elongated. Then the pair began to feel nauseous and their breathing became laboured. Barely able to think, one of the men instinctively blurted out the Lord's Prayer and within moments they were released from their fantastical quagmire. Turning, they sprinted for the exit and never looked back. This story, along with that of Elizabeth and Barbara's, was apparently told to Sean Manchester, who was a 25-year-old photographer at the time. In June 1967, Manchester had also become the president of the British Occult Society, a small organisation of like-minded people who were keen to learn more about what they perceived to be a sudden blossoming of occult-related events in the United Kingdom. With little more to go on, Sean claimed to have forgotten about the incidents until the summer of 1969, when, while out walking through Highgate one day, he was approached in the street by an anxious and tired-looking Elizabeth, who was clearly desperate for his help. Seeing the woman, and how deathly pale she looked, as he would later describe it, he immediately suggested they go to a nearby cafe where he could get her something to eat. Later that afternoon, she told him her shocking story. It began soon after she and Barbara had experienced their strange vision on Swain's Lane, with a series of terrifying nightmares in which Elizabeth would wake up in a state of panic, dripping with sweat, convinced that something was trying to get in at her bedroom window. Then one night, she sensed a presence at the end of her bed and looked up to see the figure of something, not quite a man, standing there with a wild, snarling look on its face. The next she remembered was something touching her and an icy cold sensation. Intrigued by her tale, Sean then claimed to have been taken back to Elizabeth's apartment where he was introduced to her partner, Keith, who apparently verified the story. As Elizabeth was said to have explained further, despite being diagnosed with a simple case of anemia by her doctor, none of the vitamins and iron supplements she'd been prescribed appeared to be making any difference. After a pleasant but tense evening, hearing more about Elizabeth's growing urge to leave her bed at night and wander out into the dark with no sense or idea where she might go, Sean was just about to leave when Keith apparently told him about the peculiar mark that had recently appeared on Elizabeth's neck. Then, much to Sean's astonishment, Elizabeth flicked back her hair to reveal two small, dark purple contusions. A few days later, Sean received a letter from Keith. After he and Elizabeth had got into a fight one evening, He'd followed her out of the flat, 
watching from afar as she made her way directly to Highgate Cemetery. Once there, Keith had looked on with confusion as she tiptoed over to the cemetery gates, then just stood there, staring forlornly into the darkness beyond the railings. Having eventually snapped out of it, the pair returned to their flat, where Elizabeth retired to bed alone. Later, after hearing a terrible scream, Keith ran into the bedroom to find Elizabeth sitting up in bed, gasping for breath, with, according to Manchester, two specks of blood on her pillow. Believing that Elizabeth was the victim of some kind of vampiric attack, Manchester claimed to have returned to her and Keith's flat immediately after receiving the letter. On arrival, he thrust a manuscript into Keith's hand. Keith stared down at the title of the paper with confusion. The travels of three gentlemen from Venice to Hamburg, being the grand tour of Germany in the year 1734, it read. The text was anonymous, but described a journey made by three acquaintances around Europe in the year 1734. In it, the author described a conversation with the landlord of an inn in Ljubljana, Slovenia, in which they stayed. The man, who they took to be a fine and upstanding citizen, took great pains to warn them about a plague of vampirism that appeared to have broken out in some rural areas of the country. Then Sean directed Keith to a passage quoted from a different text entitled Dissertatio de Vampiris Serviensibus, written by a professor Johann Heinrich Zopf in 1733. Zopf, as Manchester explained, was the director of one of the leading high schools in Germany at the time and an authority on vampires in the 18th century. It read, They come out of graves in the night time, rush upon people sleeping in their beds, suck out all their blood and destroy them. They attack men, women and children, sparing neither age nor sex. The people attacked by them complain of suffocation and a great interception of spirit, after which they soon expire. Those who are destroyed by them after their death become vampires too. To prevent so spreading an evil, it is found requisite to drive a stake through the dead body, from whence on this occasion the blood flows as if the person were alive. Sometimes the body is dug out of the grave and burnt to ashes, upon which all disturbances cease. All was not lost, however, according to Manchester, who claimed to have given Keith a strict set of instructions to ward off the apparent malignance that had so invaded his and Catherine's home. Garlic was to be wiped around the front door and window frames of their bedroom, and a crucifix nailed there immediately. Then he was to place a handful of salt in a piece of linen, which was then to be thread through a silver cross and tied around Elizabeth's neck. Then finally... Keith was instructed to write the first 14 verses of the Gospel and place it under Elizabeth's pillow at night, then sprinkle the room with holy water. 
Manchester alleges that Keith took his advice and spent the next evening watching with horror as Elizabeth writhed about in distress, suffering hellish fever dreams all night, while something rattled incessantly at the window. At some point, the window was said to have even been wrenched open, after which the cross mysteriously vanished from Elizabeth's neck. Come the morning, however, Elizabeth was said to have completely recovered. Did you know cats are carnivores that need lots of protein? I didn't know that leading cat food brands are often filled with fillers, grains and very little protein. That's why I switched to Cat Person Cat Food. It's everything your cat needs to stay happy and healthy. High quality, high protein meals delivered right to your door. And if you order your starter box today, Cat Person will provide an exclusive offer of nearly 50% off just for my listeners. Meal plans are fully customised for your cat and perfect for cats of all ages. There are 16 easy-to-serve wet foods and three different dry foods, from duck and chicken to mackerel and bream, so you'll be sure to find the combinations your cat will love, and they always ship for free with the meal plan. With each starter box, you'll receive 10 cups of wet food, one two-pound bag of dry food, plus an entire set of serving spoons, silicone lids and a scooper. With a 30-day money-back guarantee on your custom plan, if for some reason your cat doesn't love Cat Person. But you and your cat are going to love Cat Person as much as we do. Go to catperson.com unexplained and use code unexplained to save nearly 50% on your starter box with free shipping. That's catperson.com unexplained, code unexplained, to get nearly 50% off your starter box with free shipping. catperson.com unexplained, code unexplained. Intriguingly, about the same time in Highgate, another local individual was becoming increasingly preoccupied with the rumours of peculiar goings-on at the cemetery. Born in the mid-1940s, David Farrant grew up in Highgate's Shepherd Hill, where as a child he claimed to have seen a peculiar entity moving about his family home. Having been introduced to the culture of witchcraft by his mother, who died when he was only 13, David spent most of his teenage years delving ever further into the strange and unexplained. By 1967, then in his early 20s, Farrant, with his long tussled hair and brooding looks, was a familiar figure around Highgate Village, rarely seen out without his loyal macaw parrot perched on his shoulder. Like Manchester, Farrant was part of a group too, his being called the British Psychic and Occult Society, which was dedicated to discussing and, where possible, investigating supposed paranormal or occult phenomena that happened to crop up in the area, which is why he found himself at the Red Lion and Sun pub in Highgate one afternoon in 1969. The man he'd come to meet was well-dressed in a tailored suit, and looked to be in his late thirties. He introduced himself, but asked to be known only as Thornton, for fear of ridicule, since he was a well-respected accountant known to many in the local area. As the so-called Thornton went on to explain, he was a keen amateur photographer, and had recently visited Highgate Cemetery to take some pictures. That warm summer's afternoon, 
The place was deserted as he made his way through the crumbling, moss-covered tombstones, while dust moths danced in hazy rays of sunlight that broke intermittently through the tangle of leaves above. He'd barely noticed the time passing, when a few hours later, as he approached the grand circle of Lebanon, he heard the distant sound of church bells. Realising the cemetery would soon be locking up, Thornton was just about to leave when he was gripped by the absolute conviction that he was being watched. Spinning round suddenly, he found himself face to face with a tall, dark, amorphous figure that he quickly realised, much to his horror, was hovering just above the ground. Though he wanted nothing more than to run away, Thornton felt suddenly drained of energy, as if the spectral figure was somehow sucking it out of him. Then after what seemed like a good few minutes, the figure simply vanished, and Thornton was finally able to escape. After hearing a number of other stories just like Thornton's in the following months, David Farrant decided to investigate the cemetery for himself. And so on December 21st, 1969, the winter solstice, shortly before midnight, Farrant made his way to the western cemetery entrance at the top of Swain's Lane. No sooner had he arrived than he too was apparently gripped by the unshakable sensation that someone was watching him. Stepping up to the wrought iron gates, his boots echoing down the deserted road, he peered through into the darkness beyond. As his eyes began to adjust to the tangled mass of tombstones and greenery, gently lit by the silvery light of the moon, he staggered back suddenly at the sight of something standing in the middle of one of the paths, about twenty feet away inside. With a rush of adrenaline, David approached the gate once more, as a humanoid figure, at least seven foot in height, began to take shape within the shadows, and only then did he notice the two fiery red eyes staring out of its head. As David would later tell it, as the air seemed to grow even more cold around him, the figure then stepped forward toward him, and though he too wanted to run, he was completely glued to the spot. Closing his eyes, David quickly recited a Kabbalistic prayer under his breath, and when he looked up, the spectre was gone. When Farrant returned soon after to inspect the cemetery, this time in the daylight hours, he became fixated on the decayed state of it all. Much of it, of course, was simply the result of neglect and the ravages of time, but other things seemed just plain out of place. For one, there seemed to be an inordinate amount of vandalism, entire vaults that appeared deliberately broken into and the coffins inside smashed apart. One time, he even glimpsed the head and torso of a skeleton that had quite clearly been ripped out of a coffin. Then, he noticed something lumpen and furry lying at the edge of the path, a fox, not long dead, the third he'd seen in as many weeks, with no obvious cause of death.
Early in the new year of 1970, David Farrant wrote a letter to the local paper, the Hampstead and Highgate Express, inviting readers to write in with any unusual experiences they might have had at the cemetery. Over the next few weeks, the paper was inundated with responses. Some spoke of a man in a hat, known for years to walk across Swain's Lane at night and disappear through the cemetery walls as a ghostly bell could be heard tolling in the distance, similar to the so-called Thornton's apparent sighting. Other readers spoke of the well-known ghostly cyclist said to chase women down Swain's Lane, while one detailed a particularly terrifying encounter at nearby Viaduct Pond on Hampstead Heath, in which a ghostly figure was apparently seen to walk solemnly into the water before turning back to wave at the viewer, as if beckoning them to join them. The figure then vanished with a horrific and nauseating cry. Over the next six weeks, 18 accounts of apparent sightings were published, with many more put forward. Though Farrant was determined to keep an open mind about what exactly was taking place, Sean Manchester had already drawn his conclusion. He too had continued his own investigations at Highgate Cemetery and had also noted the unusual amount of fox carcasses. Only he hadn't found them seemingly untouched like Farrant, but with, as he later said, lacerations around the throat and completely drained of blood. Given all the evidence from the apparent experience of Elizabeth Voidiwa, the numerous sightings of a tall, spectral figure haunting the graveyard and draining the energy of anyone unfortunate enough to cross its path to the mutilated foxes, there was only one answer. A vampire was stalking Highgate Cemetery. One lesser-known fact about Unexplained is that it actually started life as a website built through Squarespace, which I heard about from an advert on one of my favourite podcasts. Having no idea where to even begin with publishing my own, it was only when I realised how easy it would be with Squarespace that I finally went ahead and did it. Whether you're a dreamer, a maker or simply a doer, Squarespace can provide you with all the tools you need to bring your creative ideas to life. With their dynamic all-in-one platform, you can build a website, claim a domain, sell online and instantly begin marketing your brand. Combining cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, with Squarespace you have the ability to customise the look and feel, settings, products and more with just a few clicks. And when you create your website, you'll get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security and dependable resources to help you succeed. There'll be nothing to patch or upgrade ever and 24-7 award-winning customer support always on hand whenever you need it. Go to squarespace.com forward slash unexplained for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code unexplained to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Also like Farrant, Sean Manchester had too noticed the growing number of apparent grave desecrations taking place in the cemetery, which only served to strengthen his vampire theory, since he believed the two to be inextricably linked. As news of the vampire rumours and Manchester's interest in the case spread, the Hampstead and Highgate Express invited him 
to give his opinion on the matter. The subsequent article was published on February 27th, titled, Does a Vampire Walk in Highgate? According to Manchester, the property of Ashurst House, on the grounds of which the cemetery was originally built, was at one time leased to an enigmatic gentleman from Eastern Europe, who arrived in the country around the time of an apparent vampire epidemic that was occurring in Southeast Europe. Manchester had good reason to think that this man, who he believed to be some form of king vampire, had resided at this location in one form or another ever since, and that black magic practitioners were trying to resurrect him. For Sean, there was only one solution to the problem, that this vampire, in his opinion, a literal manifestation of physical evil, should be found and terminated by driving a stake through its heart, then decapitating it with a gravedigger's shovel, and burning the remains to ash. With their mutual interests, it was only a matter of time before Farrant and Manchester crossed paths. After appearing in an article together on March 6th, the pair then took part in a live ITV broadcast from Highgate Cemetery on Friday 13th of March to voice their concerns. In the interview, Farrant claimed that since news of his interest in the apparent vampire had gone public, he'd received a series of sinister letters covered in strange symbols, warning him in no uncertain terms to stop meddling in things he didn't understand. However, he remained steadfastly committed to banishing the malignant menace. Within hours of the broadcast, hundreds of members of the public, some out of excited curiosity, others out of genuine concern, converged on the cemetery gates, brandishing weapons and demanding to be let in to the graveyard. Before long, the steadily increasing crowd had jumped the gates and began flowing into the cemetery, gripped by an electric fervour as they hunted desperately for any sign of the vampire. By the time the sun had risen the following morning, nothing had been found. Things had died down somewhat when on Friday, August 1st, three teenagers on their own vampire hunt discovered a charred, headless corpse lying beside the broken remnants of a vault close to the cemetery's columbarium. According to Manchester, the corpse had likely been used as part of a ritual to bring the king vampire back to life. Then, on the night of August 17th, Two police officers on the lookout for vandals were making a routine patrol of the cemetery when they spotted a group of people behaving strangely inside one of the vaults. Stepping closer, with the smell of herbs and incense in the air, they saw candles burning, as well as a series of strange markings drawn in chalk on the floor, while one of the group held a stake in their hands. It was David Farrant. The group were duly arrested for trespassing, however the case was eventually dismissed after Farrant's solicitor successfully argued that vampire hunting was not against the law. Within a week of Farrant's arrest, Sean Manchester, who was equally keen to expel the apparent vampire, was at the columbarium 
next to where the headless corpse had been found, burning incense and sprinkling cups of holy water, while reading various rites of exorcism in Greek, Latin, Hebrew and English. Sometime later, Manchester claimed to have followed a woman into the cemetery, who he believed was possessed by demonic spirits, all the way to a fairly nondescript vault hidden away amongst the leaves. Returning later that afternoon, with a small group of fellow members of the British Occult Society, Manchester reportedly entered the vault, stake in hand, where he found a coffin with no nameplate, inside which was a body that appeared to be neither dead or alive. Manchester is said to have raised the stake and was just about to plunge it somewhere between the body's seventh and eighth rib when a colleague grabbed his arm, imploring him not to do it, for fear it could be sacrilege. After all, there was no guarantee that the body was that of a vampire. In the end, Manchester was forced to concede the point, stating later that he agreed to seek permission from the correct quarter before carrying out any executions. As the sun went down, Manchester instead sprinkled salt, holy water and garlic around the vault and read the rites of exorcism just in case, claiming later that as he did, deep, voluminous, booming sounds had rung out, vibrating throughout the tomb. Over the next few months, though sightings of the apparent vampire had become few and far between, Sean Manchester and David Farrant continued their respective monitoring of the cemetery. One full moon in October 1970, Farrant took a reporter on a tour of the cemetery, during which they found numerous open graves with a number of exposed skeletons all missing their skulls, as well as a number of vaults and tombs defaced with strange magical scrawls. Then one night, Farrant claimed to have come across a particularly disturbing scene. It was laid out in a grand, mosaic-floored vault belonging to the Corey Wright family. On the floor, drawn in vibrant white chalk, was a pentagram encased in a circle with a large triangle drawn around it with one magical word scrawled on each side of it, and on the inside, symbols for Jupiter, Mars and the Moon had been drawn. A bust of one of the deceased in the vault had been placed at the head of the pentagram, and all of it surrounded by long burned-out candles. It was clear to Farrant that a group of black witches had evidently broken into the vault and attempted to resurrect the dead man depicted by the bust. In retaliation, late one night on the summer solstice of 1971, Farrant, along with nine other members of his British Psychic and Occult Society, are said to have gathered inside the Corey Wright family vault, equipped with Bibles, holy water and magical herbs amongst other implements. On the ground, triangle was drawn in chalk, this time with the protective circle drawn around it. Then, after some of the women disrobed as an apparent symbol of purity, the group lit candles, then came together in a circle around the markings. 
Together, they chanted a series of readings from the Bible, as well as some ancient spells. Before long, the icy air of the vault seemed to warm up considerably, but little more was felt until shortly after midnight, when one of the group, a self-described medium, took charge of proceedings. As some described it later, not long after she began to speak, the candles flickered and a mist was seen to descend within the circle from out of which a writhing black shadowy figure began to form, growing ever bigger until two points of light became visible in what appeared to be its face. Just then, a scream was heard as one of the group fainted to the ground, followed moments later by the startled cry of the medium as she too broke away, collapsing to the ground. And with that, the entity disappeared. If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help support us, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, just go to patreon.com forward slash unexplainedpod to sign up. Unexplained the book and audiobook, featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.